My name is Elizabeth Boykevich. My friends call me EB, so that means you can call me EB as well. I am so glad you're here. I spent the last 20 years in entertainment, first working in casting for theater, TV, and film. Most recently, I was the head of casting and talent while helping build two TV networks and brands at the Walt Disney Company. I am a leadership coach and facilitator, I'm a mindfulness guide, and I am a human being trying my best to human well. I dig all things around growth, creativity, curiosity, and storytelling. I realized there wasn't a place where actors could get to know casting directors and ask questions for free, so here we are. We collected over 100 questions from actors and we'll be answering them alongside a different casting colleague each episode. A giant thank you to everyone who submitted questions. Links to submit a question for the podcast and our guests can be found in the notes section of each episode. I hope this supports and encourages you on your acting journey. I love you. Keep going. The world needs your voice and your creativity. Welcome to Off Book. Quick announcement, I have received a lot of emails and DMs asking for a workshop, a class, a talk back, time with me. Um, so we've put together a workshop called Thriving in 2023. This is going to be a live three-hour virtual workshop on February 11th. That's a Saturday, February 11th at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for three hours. I have cooked this up with my friend and the fabulous, skilled, and talented actor, Brianna Brown. This is for those of you that wish you had a big sister, a den mother, an acting biz guru who has walked the walk, who's been in the rooms. We can advise you on your acting journey. With our combined experience, we've been through it all in front of and behind the camera. It was so, so important for me to also have someone who has had 20 years experience on the other side of the camera as a performer for us to share together, right? We have been in the audition rooms. We have been in the screen test sessions, the executive suites with representatives, business managers, acting teachers, directors, producers, on set and off. Uh, there is a link in the bio of this for you to check it out. Come join us. We have kept the cost very, very low. And the intention is to really serve you guys. Share honestly. People in front of and behind the camera that do not have skin in the game, money to make off of you, who can be real with you. And really, really, if you listen to the podcast, you know what's important to me is questioning your mindset, talking about sustainability and longevity and compassion and kindness and permission to be a free and whole expressive creative human being in this business um okay that's enough blathering check it out i'd love to have you and see your face there also will be a survey before we start the workshop a place for you to ask your specific questions so each workshop will be tailor-made for your specific needs and questions for the group that comes together. Um, okay, see you February 11th, team.
Okay, let's get to it. Thanks for coming and listening, you guys. So after a decade of working in various independent casting offices and TV and film studios, Leanne Smith and Conrad Wolf founded Indigo Casting in 2021 with the mission to empower creatives to produce dynamic, compelling stories through collaboration and curiosity. Most recently, they cast Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, which is a musical TV series coming to Paramount Plus on April 6th. Between them, additional credits include Love, Victor, The Babysitter's Club, In the Heights, The Walking Dead World Beyond, This Is Us, and Mary Poppins Return. So they've worked on projects for Hulu, Netflix, Warner Brothers Pictures, AMC, NBC, and Disney, among many other places. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I have a personal relationship with Leanne Smith. It was my first time talking to Conrad Wolf. Uh, They're both really wonderful and care a lot and love actors and are really, really excited to put good things out into the world. I think one of the interesting things about this conversation and these two people are they really represent the newer, younger generation of casting directors. So um, it's great to hear their point of view and perspective. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for being here and talking to us today. Thank you for having us. We're very excited. (laughs) So Conrad, Leanne and I know each other because when I was an executive, one of the people on my team took a maternity leave. So Leanne came to us and filled in and I got to work with her and she was fabulous and wonderful. And she is indeed. I was so struck by how much she loves actors, how she goes above and beyond. And also, how do I want to say this, Leanne? So much of how the world is really important to you in reflecting it and really finding and giving opportunities in places where historically they have not been given. Totally. That's a really beautiful thing about Leanne. And then when she started this company with you, and I've been watching your Instagram and seeing that's very much the ethos of what you guys do. I'm really excited to hear about that. I would love to hear from both of you where you grew up, how you got started in this business, and then eventually how you decided to bring your talents together and and start Indigo Casting. Yeah. Okay. First, can I tell a story about the first time I met you? Oh, oh, sure, of course. No, it's a great story. And this is just how I knew I loved you right away, which is that I came to my job interview and you had a pimple patch on your face or like something like that. And I was like, this woman is incredible. She is so confident and like in herself. And then we talked about, I think, like philanthropy and the world a lot more than we talked about casting even in that first meeting. And it was just this idea that the focus is really on the people and the actors and I just love that about you and it's just one of my favorite first meeting someone and connecting with them in this industry stories that I have over the course of my career man here's the thing that happens when you get older you just don't care anymore if I you're gonna see the pimple so I might as well put the medicine on it yes (laughs) and that's like a huge thing that you know we talk about with actors especially when we're working with them individually is that idea of not caring so much, being able to own where you're at and coming in prepared and not putting so much emphasis on what the other person is thinking of you, whether that person is quote unquote, in a position of power or not. It's bringing all of who you are in the room, not trying to hide or put a polish on it. Yeah. It goes back to something that we try to incorporate in our own lives, certainly, but like 
recognizing what we have control over and what we don't casting directors obviously but that actors certainly have so little control over so much of the process but they have control over the preparation they can do and having their own sense of self and what they bring into the room personality wise energy wise and once an actor has a grasp on that then just letting it go like Leanne said just releasing the rest of it yes there's an actor who we met through a friend who moved here interesting guy he moved out here he doesn't know this but I sent his stuff to a boutique agent to say would you be interested and they were like not at this time and then when I went to go look at his pictures that were on his IMDB I was like I would have been the same way if someone had sent me this package to be like meet him on a general I'd be like Ugh. but I was looking at his headshots that were on his IMDB and they were like those old 1990s muggy commercial shots with the here's me with a hat here's me with a big smile and he was leading with one that the picture looked like he didn't know what he was doing and from what I know of him a kind genuine guy and I started scrolling and there's this gorgeous picture of him in a park natural lighting where he looks like him and it looks like oh here's an actor that I could bring in for so many different things and also someone I'd like to have coffee with when actors would say which headshot do you like it's I want to see something behind the eyes whatever it is the overused word of authenticity I, so we had this conversation I'm going to give you an unsolicited opinion take all of these down immediately and something about what you were saying Conrad reminds me of this the bringing who you are in the room it's like who you are naturally I want to see something behind the eyes I want to be interested and go I could have a coffee with that person. I don't want the extra posy muggy shit. No, like part of our job is obviously casting the best person for the job talent wise and matching actor to, to role. These people are going to spend a substantial amount of time with the people who've hired us, our showrunners, our directors, our whoever. We want to make sure that there are people that they want to hang out with as well, who are pleasant to be around, who are interesting, and all of those things. That's not the only part of the process. It doesn't mean that you have to be the coolest person in the world or most popular grown school or whatever, but it's certainly part of it that we pay attention to. Conrad, tell me where you grew up, how you got started. What was your relationship to entertainment and TV growing up? I grew up on Long Island in New York, just uh, far Rockaway, a town called Atlantic Beach, and always just really naturally interested in film and TV and my mom, uh, a lot of my family was in the city, my grandparents, my aunt. And so going to shows was always a big thing and always part of growing up. I grew up around that and developing, I think my own point of view about stuff. I did want to be an actor when I was younger, <clears throat> certainly in school plays and all that. And then more professionally, as I started going through adolescence and trying to do that, which I more say just because I think at that point, I think casting is more present in the sort of larger cultural conversations than it was then. So it was how I knew that casting even existed. I learned at some point that I did not want to be an actor. It was much more difficult than I <laughs> wanted it to be and that is one of the reasons I have so much empathy for for actors now but I realized I didn't want to be an actor I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do my aunt who I'm very close with is a casting director in fashion really fast forwarding through the story but there was a point where I thought maybe I wanted to do that and I worked with her for a bit and I realized that I did really love that process I love being on that side of it but I wanted to do it for more narrative projects with actors figuring out what that looked like and 
it was just through learning about more what casting was and what it could be and doing research about more well-known casting directors and who cast my favorite projects and going backwards that way. And that was how I was introduced to, at the time, Telsey and Company, now the Telsey office and Bernie Telsey. I had a general meeting with him that turned into an internship. At the time, I didn't need school credit, thankfully for me. And that internship turned into an apprenticeship, turned into an assistantship, and then I rose through the ranks. And I was there pretty consistently up until through the first half of the pandemic, or I don't know, we're still in the pandemic, but first couple of years of the pandemic and until Leanne and I started Indigo about a year and a half or almost two years ago having and that conversation. What was your experience, like your first couple of days in Telsey where you're like, oh yeah, this is it? Was it immediate it, for you? It really was. It really was. Because I had done so many, I had really bounced around happily for a number of years. I didn't finish college. And so I was just like in New York City and doing odd jobs and making it work. And I was totally happy. And then, but like nothing that was, you know, the beginning of a career, like anything resembling like a budding career. And the closest I came was like starting in the fashion stuff. I had assisted a stylist briefly, and then I did the stuff with my aunt. And it was like getting warmer and warmer. And then I started sitting in on sessions as an intern at Telsey. And I was like, oh, no, this totally this is makes it. sense. Yeah. I the great it. thing about when I arrived at Telsey, I think how I showed up, I got on really great with Bernie really immediately. And I was really vocal about, for anyone who doesn't know, at that point, it was only in New York. There was no LA office yet. And it was, he'd had it for 20 some odd years at that point and had big office by casting standards and musical theater department, commercial department. And he had done a bunch of film and TV work, but it wasn't quite organized. And I was really vocal about wanting to do on-camera casting, about wanting to do film and TV casting. Probably more vocal than I needed to be as an intern and like <laughs> apprentice. Like he was really, we just developed a really good rapport really quickly. And I felt comfortable <laughs> expressing that. And so he gave me the responsibility of organizing that into a department. There were casting directors there who had been doing that work, who had been on those projects, on those film and TV projects, but were also being pulled and were doing a lot of theater work, which is a super collaborative office that way. That didn't necessarily end, but it wasn't like anyone was really being like, okay, like they're dedicated to that work. And so I helped do that. And it was just what he needed at that time. And when I showed up and so I really got thrown into the deep end in a lot of respects. I probably became an associate much quicker than I would have at any other office. And you know how it works. Associates get director responsibility sometimes. And I got casting director billing much sooner than I would have at other offices. And it was great. And so I was doing a lot really quickly. And a handful of years into it, I started to lose sight of that letting go aspect that I <laughs> was talking about at the very beginning. I was personalizing a lot of decisions that I didn't necessarily agree with creatively. I really got attached to certain actors as part of a process or part of an approval process that didn't, that the team wound up not wanting or a director wound up not wanting and just getting really in my head about it, like why this is so ridiculous. And often it had to do with more actors from more marginalized communities, not getting chosen over actors from overrepresented communities, say, things like that. And I was getting really worked up about it. Then at fast forward another couple of years, I moved to LA. I was working in the LA office, which had opened at that point and worked on a 
fantastic project that it was like there was so much integrity in every step of the project and it was one of those things like you don't know what you're missing until you find it and it was like oh my god it could be like this and it was just like a really incredible project with an incredible team and they wanted it's like that first conversation where everyone's this really ambitious that we want to cast it this way with these actors from this group and then like in most projects it's like yeah some of that happens but like we give up on a lot of that at some point because it gets too hard or it's not enough time or whatever and it was just integrity through and through we stuck to all of it it was an incredible project and uh, we went back to projects where that wasn't happening and I needed to take a break. And I thought I wanted to go back to school and finish my degree and get a degree in social work was what I arrived at. And I wound up taking classes for a year and then going back to get felt right the right time after that year to go back to casting and to Telsey and having that space from it. It just allowed me, and Leanne, if I'm forgetting something, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, it just allowed me to, it allowed me to keep a certain, to get invested in what I felt was right and do get involved with certain groups and like really immerse myself in with certain actors or certain theaters or organizations, but release a lot of the results because part of it, I think it became really real. Like we're not curing cancer. We're not, it's not the end of the world. If like we, we have a lot of power and I think representation is really important. I think entertainment is really important. I wouldn't be able to do this otherwise if I didn't really believe that but I think I just was able to um come back at it and think those things were important but also like I wasn't the most important person in the room making those decisions like I I recognized where I stood in that power dynamic more come in with a new and renewed perspective I love that you shared that story thank you so much also for presencing the part where for casting directors it's a slippery slope of over-personalizing. And this work can become really draining and really difficult and screw with your head when we are not able to put it in the right place. The casting directors that I'm attracted to, I wanted to say something with what we were doing. You wanna service the project, but also wanna say something. And being able to give opportunities is one of the best parts of the gig. Anyway, that was a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing it because I feel like a lot of people don't realize our kind of journey that we can go through that makes this difficult as well. Yeah. And I think That's it also contributed, contributed a lot. And when Conrad tells our story of coming up with Indigo, like it comes up a lot that the space we got during COVID from like breathing from the projects we'd been so intensely involved in really helped open our eyes to like, oh, if we went out and did this thing on our own together, we would really have that sense of agency that was sometimes missing when you're working under a bigger umbrella that you're so grateful for all those opportunities, but you don't have as much of a say in the teams you work with, the stories you choose to participate in telling and so on. So that was a big part of what sort of gave us, I think, the confidence and desire to make our own way. Yeah. Yeah. Leanne, share where you grew up and how you started in the yeah. casting biz. Sure. So I grew up outside of Washington, DC in Prince George's County, Maryland in a small town called Cheverly. 
And I started doing community theater when I was about nine. And in some of my earliest memories are when I was 11, I think, in the summer, I would take the Metro every day to my theater camp at Studio Theater downtown. And we were really lucky in my town, all of the parents got together and created the Chevrolet Young Actors Guild, which was like a semi-professional like children's theater production company. Like when I was Peter Pan in eighth grade, ZFX flying company from Vegas came and flew our Peter Pan across the stage. So I had a really like early exposure to that side of the entertainment industry, which I think is a lot of why I feel really connected now to actors, especially young actors. Fast forward, I ended up going to college for journalism and minoring in theater just because I chickened out at the last minute on going to a musical theater conservatory. And I did an internship at a talent agency my sophomore year of college. And at the end of my summer internship, they were like, our kid's agent is moving on. Do you want to drop out of school and be a kid's agent in Pennsylvania? And I was like, yeah, okay. So in Pennsylvania, you had to get licensed. So I become a licensed talent agent. I'm 19 years old. These parents coming in with their kids were like, you look like a child, but it was incredibly eye-opening. And I was certain that, oh, if I don't pursue acting as a career, something in this other side of the world, agent, manager, casting director, feels really good to me. I ended up only doing it for a semester and realizing I wanted to finish school and be a 19-year-old. And after college, I worked a little while in DC and then moved out here to LA to act. And as I got closer, I think to 30, I was feeling like I wasn't enjoying the process nearly as much anymore. I loved the creativity. I did not love auditioning. I had a lot of anxiety around it and I didn't have a lot of the tools for that I have now. I was quite insecure and really did put all of the power in the hands of the folks on the other side of the table, if you will. So eventually I get an opportunity to move to New York to help open some acting schools with a couple acting teachers that I had studied with. And so I did that and I was running the whole thing myself, really like finding the actors, finding the teachers, finding the spaces. And through that and doing some teaching for the company, I realized I really loved facilitating things for actors. I was still doing a little acting myself and I ended up taking the train down to Baltimore to go to an audition for Beep. My mom picks me up at the train station, takes me to the Beep audition. I'm sitting in the casting director's office and I'm looking around at the other girls that look similar to me and I'm watching the casting assistant. I can't stop watching the assistant who's like coming out and pulling the actors in for the auditions. And I'm like, that kind of feels like what I want to do. And I said to myself, if I don't book this job, I'm going to start really like thinking about this as a career. Don't book the job. I'm sitting in New York and I'm watch casting by the documentary. And I'm like sobbing. This is, it was like such a like epiphany, cheesy aha moment of this is what I meant to do with my life. And I take out a journal and I start writing the names of all the casting directors in it that are still alive. And at the top of the list is Laura Kennedy. And fast forward again, I moved back to LA for the year of opening the school in New York and through a very serendipitous series of events, 
end up with my first casting job as a casting assistant in the features department at Warner Brothers under Laura Kennedy, which was the name on my list. For me, it was a long trajectory to get there, but felt very much like when I did, this is the right place to be. And I got to work on amazing projects there. I learned so much from Laura and Chrissy Carlson and the other folks I worked with there. And then after a couple of years, I think it was Chrissy that said to me, if you really want to do this as your profession, and I think that it makes sense for you, you're going to have to get into the independent casting side and like really get your hands dirty with that. And luckily, there was an opening at Bernie's, Bernie Telsey's office, and Laura and Bernie were quite close. So I was lucky enough to talk to everyone involved and everyone was supportive about me taking that job and going over to Telsey, which is where I met Conrad. And I was at Telsey for a few years, worked on amazing things there, left to go to become an associate at Opiara Horn on the Babysitter's Club. And then once we did season one of the Babysitter's Club, they decided they weren't taking on any other pilots that year, which is when I found out about the job at Freeform and came over to work with you, Elizabeth, and did that through the beginning of COVID. And again, once that ended, I did a couple other projects with other great offices before Conrad and I were really like, okay, we're going to do this thing. We work really well together professionally. We get along incredibly well personally. And like we speak a lot of the same language in terms of how we approach both life and work and had a lot of the same desires about things we really wanted to see happen in this industry and like the kinds of casting directors we hoped to help foster careers of as we went along and took that and ran with it and we're very lucky to partner together and then get a exciting job pretty much right away that has brought us to where we are now. And what was that gig? Grief, Rise of the Pink Ladies is our, our baby thus far. Conrad tells this story much better. Tell the story of right the beginning of Indigo. We had stayed in touch, obviously, closely after Leanne left Telsey and probably got closer when she left, to be honest, just because we figured out we really vibed and all the things she was talking about. The pandemic started, obviously, everything shut down. All I had a handful of projects that had been going that we're no longer going. We had all this sort of time and there was, as you all know, a simultaneous call to action, both in the industry at large and specifically within casting and what, what casting does have control over. We were talking before about the power dynamics and where we fall and figuring out what casting can do, what casting can be. And we were really interested in that conversation. We were really engaged in that conversation when it started happening in a big way. And... I was just thinking about that and about having more agency over the jobs and having more decision-making over the teams that I was working with. And I was like, oh, I wonder, this might be the time to leave Telsey, which was an incredible experience, but it just started to feel more and more. A show that I had been working on, that I worked on for its first season, was coming back in its second season during the pandemic. It was one of those early shows that tried to do it and did it successfully, but it was just heavy lifting. But I went back for that second season of Love, Victor, 
on Hulu and just felt like a good swan song. And so shortly after that ended, I, with Bernie's blessing, with at, at Tulsi, Tiffany, Josh, with everyone's blessing, it's being like, I think I want to figure out what this looks like outside of Tulsi for the first time. And I quickly got a animated musical film at Netflix, so outside of my comfort zone, so outside of anything that I'd done apart from the musical aspect, but really fun called The Witch Boy, which is still very much in development. Animation takes 4 million years. But Leanne had time. I was I had the opportunity to hire an associate and assistant as part of a search for that movie. And Leanne was working on some other stuff, but was able to make that work. And it was the first time that we worked together again since Telsey. And it just felt really good. And we were like, we should, neither of us wanted to do it on our own. And so... We decided to do it and I came at it very, it's going to be great. And we have all these great relationships, like after all these years and great producers and people are going to hire us. And she was like, I totally believe that. But also we need to meet for a couple hours every day and organize like why we're doing this, what we're doing, what's our mission, what's our name. And I was like, oh, okay. That feels like homework. But she was right. We did need to do that. That was extremely necessary work. And we did spend... That time is really valuable in figuring out like, yeah, why are we doing this? And what do we want this to look like? And what is our mission? And we did all of that work and it took us that like a summer. In August, we had just, we had all these Google Docs about what we wanted everything to look like. And Paramount reached out to us just about having a general and checking our availability. And so we met with Deb Aquila and Chris Redondo and Geraldine and you know, just it was a great meeting we got on really well with them and they were like we have this project that i think maybe you would think is really interesting and so they set us up with a meeting with this showrunner on this upcoming series that we found out was grease rides the pink ladies it's a grease prequel series huge musical 10 episode situation and that went really well and we were just this is so cool that we're having all these great meetings so early on like we really thought we'd be pounding the pavement more but what a great exciting thing we're never gonna book this job this is we're just getting started this is too much to dream for but we're showing up 110 percent and like it's great that these meetings are going so well I'm sure something they'll turn into something in the future and then we got that job and we were like oh we have to file our paperwork to become an so we can have a bank account and get paid for this job like it, it happened so so quickly and but we were so ready for it like even when we weren't sure we were ready for it we were ready for it and we got to hire a great associate and assistant and it was a huge search and it wound up being like a year-long process that we're just very excited for the world to see probably early next year. I Taking the time to define your why is so important. And that also, because you had taken the time and connected in that way, you guys had such clarity. You knew where you were vibing and you're bringing that into the rooms that you're meeting on. That all makes a big difference. I was just having a conversation with an actress last week and she's had a lot of success, but we were talking about, she was like, early on in my career, I thought, as soon as I get my series regular, that's going to be it. That will take care of everything. But what is your why under wanting the series regular? Is it the financial freedom? Is it the exposure? Is it like, what is it? Because she booked it and she was miserable because she <laughs> hadn't thought about what was underneath it. That particular gig, I can't remember what she said. It was like, she was far away. Maybe she didn't love the story. And look, it's not like defining your why then is a guarantee to best exactly what you want going forward. However, when you're really clear on where you're going, it lends perspective 
to every gig you're getting, right, to put you on the right track. So you can have clarity and perspective of this is how this is serving where I'm going and what I want to create and what I want to put out in the world. No, literally exactly to that point, what I neglected to say is that like, we were, we as part of that brainstorming, as part of Leanne's very wise time to organize all of that, we were really clear that we were going to, we figured out at some point that one of the most powerful tools in a casting director's arsenal is no, is saying no to something, saying no to things that don't feel right, saying no to things that should go to a different casting director, all saying no. I'm very big on the power of no, very big on the power of yes as well, but like the power of no is huge. So we were again prepared to just we were really big in a romantic way almost of what could it look like if we just really just wanted if we say we have eight boxes to check on the perfect job like if six of those boxes got checked like how amazing and so we were prepared to how great would it be if we got any job offers but we were prepared to say no to something but we went into that grease meeting and the showrunner the incredible annabelle oaks the way that she was describing her vision for the show and how she wanted the process to go and how she, the kinds of actors that she wanted to find. It was like she had our Google Doc open and was like reading our things. And we were just like, what the fuck is going on? And that was the coolest part. And I think in first telling it sounded more passive of, oh, this meeting was so great. It felt so, we were so engaged because she was saying these things that we had just, against your point, it felt like manifested by putting it like pen to paper in this way. And and I think, and now once we connected with her and became really close collaborators, she felt similarly. She said that we were up against some bigger offices, some more experienced offices, but that we were the only ones really, like when she was saying like, we want, talking about how inclusive she wanted the process and the cast to, to be, that we were the only ones who got really jazzed about it, who were like, oh my God, that's so exciting, as opposed to, oh, okay, wet blankety. And that was really meaningful to her, but it was it was completely genuine from us. We were just like, oh, that's so cool. We'd love to watch that show. We'd love to work on that show, but we that sounds awesome. I love that. And I love also the power of no. There's, there's an author named Ryan Holiday who is a modern Stoic, and he studies the Stoics. But one of the things he's been talking a lot lately is how his yes is a no to other things. So him saying yes to a book tour is a no to his kids' bedtimes and how every yes and every no is powerful. So a yes to something can potentially be a no to something else. And I think it's easy when we're starting and green in our careers, whether you're an actor or on the casting side or a budding director of feeling like, I should say yes to everything. And by the way, yes, get the experience, but being aware that some of the yeses, if they're really, really not aligned with your values, that it can be a real bummer and take you take you out of what you're really trying to create. Exactly. Of course, not every project, whether you're an actor or casting director, is going to be 100% in line with your values. And I think it's really just about integrity and, okay, as long as this doesn't compromise my values and I can find some way to connect to this, especially in the early stages, great. Do that thing, gain the experience, meet new people, see how it goes. And I think, because I do think it is a little bit naive to say that we're going to love everything we work on and everybody that we work with. But I think just knowing where you want to be and the kinds of things that matter to you 
naturally steers things in that direction and not being afraid to say no, because I know when I was an actor, I didn't say no to anything. And I think especially as a woman that looking back is there are a lot of things I wish I had done differently and that's okay. But I think not being afraid to say no of an opportunity that doesn't feel in line with your morals, ethics, values are, is totally okay. And we don't need to treat something like that as an end all be all that's going to define our career. Yes. I'd love to hear about Indigo Casting. First of all, why did you name it Indigo Casting? I'm wondering if it's a play on the Indigo Child. No, no. it's not. Okay. okay. We named it Indigo Casting. Obviously, it was a very extensive, fun brainstorm, many weeks long. We actually thought we had a name that we really liked. And then I checked with, we collectively checked with a lot of people, but specifically a couple people that I checked with were put the kibosh on the name that we thought we wanted and which was fine. We both love the Indigo Girls, who for anyone listening who doesn't know who the Indigo Girls are, why are you listening? But no, I'm just kidding. Very important lesbian folk duo from the 90s mostly who are incredible Emily and Amy anyway we love the Indigo Girls and like we connected on that at Telsey but we just like jokingly Leanne was like should we name an Indigo Girls casting one day throwing up our hands like how many more names can we think of how many more words can we just throw at the wall and I was like huh and I was like maybe and I was like comment I don't hate it I definitely don't hate it and I was like what about indigo casting? And we were just, oh, that's cool. And then we looked up and we had you tell the rest of it. Yeah. And I think that we were like, okay, what? We had done such an extensive list of like words that were important to us, ideas that were important to us, things we connected on. And we were like, what does indigo signify as a color in new age philosophy, historically, whatnot, and looked it up. And it was like, many of the things were words that were on our list, right? Like about wisdom and authenticity and truth and just all kinds of things. And we were like, oh, this is a really like lovely undertone. And we also, Conrad also pointed out like that it has go in it, which is like forward moving and feels. We should all, I also forgot to say that we had at the jump, said that we weren't going to do just a play on our names like a smith wolf casting just we had such an ambitious idea for what we think that this office could be even like in first thought that we didn't want it to be like our thing like we wanted to start it but we hope to foster associates and bring them up as casting directors and hopefully they'll enjoy working with us enough to like want to be a part of indigo casting we just knew that we didn't want that kind of ownership over it in that way like in name so that was why it was like such an extensive brainstorm of what are these what could it be and yeah i noticed the go and indigo girls are two people we we only just realized that i shouldn't <laughs> yeah, like rewrite history someone recently pointed out to us like oh is it because there's two of you and there's this great dynamic and one of you brings this to the table and the other brings this and we were like no but yeah we were like totally but hopefully they, the Indigo Girls, will think, will eventually hear about it and think that it's lovely and not sue us. I don't think so. And hire us to cast us. Yes, and hire us for their biopic. Yeah. I, I, at every Indigo's, Indigo Girls concert, I run into the manager, Eric Emery. 
And then who else is a big fan is Bradford Bricken, who's a manager and producer at the cartel, who's married to the actress Virginia Williams. And now that I've met you, Conrad, and obviously I know Leanne, we'll all bump into each other at the next Indigo Girls concert. We certainly will. A thousand percent. Anytime they're in town, I'm there. So seen them in some very small venues. I love that it was born out of exasperation. Like, why don't we just call ourselves Indigo Girls casting? Listen, it takes what it takes. And that's just one of those things. It was like we said it and it just, it made sense. And we were like, oh yeah, we really like that. I love it. Would you talk about how the process, the casting process is for you now, how your job has changed in this new auditioning world of self-tapes and Zoom auditions? That's one of the reasons I started this podcast. There was a need, like actors can no longer, especially green in their career or new to town actors, go in and meet the casting folks and get a sense of who they are. So this was an answer to helping fulfill that gap to introduce the human beings behind this. And also, I was frustrated because one of the things that was bothering me was I was seeing a lot of, let's say, folks that don't have the experience or expertise charging money to answer questions (laughs) and for access to information they didn't necessarily have. And I believe it should be free for actors. So I wanted it to be free. (laughs) And I also wanted to bridge this gap of introduction to the people that they are going to be auditioning for. So I would love to hear how the process has changed, what you think of it now, any tips you have about it. Sure. I think with brief Rise of the Pink Ladies specifically, we did the entire thing over Zoom. And it is a huge cast. We are lucky we have an amazing casting director at Tiffany Mack, who works with us. Yes. Who I know you know Elizabeth yes. the Tiffany, very best. Tiffany Mack did a podcast. She's the best. Oh, she did? Oh, oh. yay. Yes. Really, we love her. Okay, so Tiffany Mack, we ha- we, and she had not done a musical. And she, the reason she took Grease is because she was so excited to do a musical and so it was really cool because parts of it that she got to do because it was local like the dancers we still walked her through a lot of that process which was the only thing that was in person the dance auditions which were like six people at a time over and over and over and over for days because you couldn't have 300 people in the room for a dance call like normal so everything was over zoom um we did our first round of auditions as self-tape with singing and some scenes and moved through the process, eventually having people as they made it, we were narrowing down closer for each role, learn a dance combination and put that on tape and whatnot. And then we did our screen tests all over Zoom as well. So it was certainly a different process, required adjustment and flexibility, and I think a little bit of imagination on everybody's part. We are not seeing these people in their full form. And I think, like you said, a big part of what I think we try really hard to do is find ways to connect with these actors on a more human level throughout that process, even though we're not getting to chat in the room with them. We allow time for that to happen before and after the audition. If we need to do a work session with somebody to really etch it out before we throw them in front of the team, we would do that. And so I think 
we tried to personalize it as much as possible, especially as it got down to a few actors for each role so that they all felt really supported. And if they were having any challenges come up around this sort of different kind of audition process, they felt safe enough to express that to us. And Connor, maybe can talk a little bit about, I mean, there's a lot we really like about the self-tape and Zoom process because it does really increase the accessibility. Yeah, I'll, in a more general way, that's obviously specific to Greece. I think in a more general way, yes, we're super in line with you. We believe that a lot of that information, arguably all of that information should be free and completely accessible in terms of that sort of Q&A, like the answers to common questions. I'll also shout out, which you can, I don't know, piece together or cut however you want. We have a friend, Andrew Femme, who's New York-based, a New York-based casting director, and they do, they have an Instagram handle at Casting by Them, and they've made it, they've done a lot of really great, quick, digestible videos answering very common questions that are great, and we always direct actors to. But the Zoom process, incorporating Zoom into our, Zoom and self-taping into our process almost felt natural because I think, and I think you know this about Leanne already, and it's one of the things that we have in common. Even before the pandemic, we always came at casting in a no stone, no stone left unturned sort of way, really research-based, really trying to get at, even with limited time or on roles you wouldn't necessarily expect, like just doing that outreach, flyering, doing like open calls as much as you can and just going into communities where maybe they're not getting breakdowns again as as much as the process allowed if we were able to take the time to do it or if we would ultimately be able to hire a non-union actor for a thing all of those variables in place but we love that and so it just it increased our accessibility so much tenfold we're just able to reach so many more actors the grease process had a huge open call it was one of the reasons we went on like 10 weeks earlier than we normally would have we did like a huge open call where we got thousands and thousands of submissions from people all over the world and we it just allows us to meet and see so many more actors and i think it's i hope that it's better for actors i know there's a lot of growing pains i know sometimes it's actors can feel like they now have to wear so many hats of editor and cinematographer and they have to do so much and get a reader for every audition and, and all those things. And I have so much compassion for that, but I think there was a lot of pressure for actors to be in New York or LA or Chicago or Atlanta, like larger markets, like larger cities. And it was, I hope that actors don't feel that same pressure so early on in their career that they feel like they can be seen and be introduced to offices that they wouldn't have gotten a chance to read for, go in for ahead of spending all that money or making that leap or before they're comfortable doing that, before they're ready to do that. And so that just really feels natural to us and in in how we're able to reach people and finding actors wherever, meeting them wherever they are and at whatever level of talent or wherever they are geographically. So here's a question from an actor and please answer it however it hits you. Can you talk about the process and struggles of introducing, suggesting, pushing for actors of color slash diversity for roles that are not initially written as or looking to be cast as diverse? So basically the question is, can you talk about the process and struggles of introducing, suggesting, and pushing actors and types that 
are different than what's written on the page. It made me leave the industry for a year is what I'll say. I think, but like I said, as part of sharing that story at this stage, we look at our role as most importantly is collaborating with these people who have this idea of what a character or what a group of characters look like or who they are and bringing that to life. But as part of that is expanding that framework, expanding like what that could be. And sometimes those relationships with our creative team are new. Sometimes they're people that we've worked with a number of times before. And so it's Part of our process is developing a shared vocabulary, vibing, making sure we're on the same page energetically and creatively. And so it I'd like to say that, again, our whole idea with starting Indigo is hopefully working primarily with people who are open to that kind of suggestion, who like maybe go into something not knowing how stubborn a vision is in their mind and being willing to expand that vision, think more expansively, that those are the kinds of people that we really want to work with. Those are the people that we've had the good fortune of working with so far on our first year and a half, two years. But it can, yeah, it can be really frustrating. And we also recognize why we give people the benefit of the doubt in terms of if a showrunner or writer or director is seemingly stubborn about, no, actually a role has to be white has to be able-bodied, has to be cis, has to be cis, white, and able-bodied. Why? That intentionality is meaningful to us because that there could be, a we don't want to put cis, white, able-bodied actors out of work, but we want to know our characters written, our characters being developed with a perspective, with a very intentional idea. Because sometimes it can just be really arbitrary and it's identifying when it's arbitrary and being like, what if, what if? Yeah, I think another Part of that is important, I think, in this industry and all of them is this idea of a hierarchy, right? Because it is also, I think, really important. And I learned this early on because there was a time as an associate on a project where I had to speak up about a casting decision like this. And there was some fear around that. However, I was happened to be working in an office at that time where... I was treated like my voice mattered, like I was not going to be shut down or reprimanded if I brought something to the table, even if it would be something that is slightly controversial or pushing back. And I think it's really tricky in this industry to feel safe enough to do that because historically what we've been taught is sit down and shut up until you've reached a certain level or you've got to earn your place. I I had chairs thrown at my head, so you must have chairs thrown at your head and we don't buy into that, right? And so I think it, it is about creating safe spaces on both sides of the table, on all aspects of the industry so that it feels safe enough for those conversations to happen. And that's not to say that things will always go the way that you want them to go or you think that they should go. I think it's another important thing to remember, especially when we see in the press, casting directors often getting their hands slapped for a specific casting decision when like, it's never just our decision. We are like so much more of a middleman than I think anyone realizes. And there are also things that are, that the unions prevent us from asking actors that 
can affect how these decisions go or don't go. That's just to say that I think that we all have a responsibility to implement this kind of change and make these conversations more comfortable and open and that they're not always going to turn out the way we want. But as long as we're pushing in that direction and having those conversations, hopefully we're making progress. It's such a good point that you both make. Casting, yes, we can be an in- intentional and fight for it and open maybe some of the framework of how people are looking at characters, but also at the end of the day, as you said, Leanne, we are servicing the creative. It's not our ultimate decision. And a lot of the type of questions, I'm going to ask another one in a moment, from actors I think it's important for actors to understand, too, another part of this dynamic is our relationship, what type of relationship we have with the creative team. And Conrad spoke to this a little bit, too, right? Every process is different. Just like being an actor on set, some are more collaborative. Some there is room and time and space for conversations and to try and play. And other ones are like, nope, we're just doing it and moving on. And that dynamic can absolutely come into can absolutely come into the cast process. For example, here's another question from an actor. After you pass along your picks of the actor to the director, do you have any swaying power on behalf of the actor or is that solely the director's pick from that point? I wish I could be like, oh, this is the answer to that question, but it depends. Like, yep. Exactly to your point, it it totally depends. We certainly gravitate towards directors or producers or showrunners who are more collaborative than just being like, thank you for these picks. This is my answer. I'll say that sometimes that's a blessing if it's like a one or two line part and we just need a decision and it's not, we feel really good about all three or four choices that we sent over, but we love that shared language early on in the process. We've done it always. Sometimes teams or directors like us giving a little blurb of we really responded to the way that this actor did X, Y, Z, or we saw this actor in the off-Broadway play, title of play, and we were so blown away. This is so, they're so cool. They're up and coming. Having those, when we send things and like giving our input that way, we love when we don't do that, when directors are like, I really liked this actor. What do you think? It We like being able to give, we consider it like the main part of our job. We'll never send along people who we f- would feel uncomfortable putting on set. Sometimes that's whether we don't think they have the level of skill that they need or the skill set that a role requires. Sometimes that means they've treated us or people in our office poorly or what we consider to be disrespectful. Like we have a no asshole policy in the office and on any job, whatever the reason, but we won't send forward people who we don't think are interesting, are exciting, are hopefully diverse in terms of what has been imagined already for a role. And so We love getting to explain further why different actors could be cool, could be interesting if the director has a question. That is a very long-winded way of saying it really does depend. Some directors do do that and consider it their job to just be like, I've made my decision and this is who we're going with and this is who I want to send forward for approval. And more the actors that the directors rather that we're more interested in working with are like, why did you send these and tell me more about this actor and what do you think? Yes, it's such a dynamic process. It's also the casting director's job to be able to say, the read is probably 70% there, but here's a piece of tape that I saw them do X, Y, and Z on and they can get there if you don't, or 
I love them. What do you think? Can we give them a chance to retape? It's such a dynamic process. There are no hard and fast rules. And I've used this description before. I think casting directors, we are part party planner. We are part <laughs> producer. And we're mm-hmm. also part witch. Full witch. Oh, Elizabeth, yes. you just... <laughs> we really we are we are real witchy around here yes I, I had the or sorcerer whatever whatever pick your avatar <laughs> Allison Silverberg and I had this conversation where I was like I think we all have like a 30 percent intuitive kind of witchy sense and she was like oh no it's way more than 30 <laughs> percent yeah and I, and I think it is important to note that that's part of our job is to engineer all of these different opinions and perspectives because we have the studio, we have the network, we have the creative teams, we have us, we have the agents. It's like really a puzzle of trying to fit together everyone's vision and sometimes helping to steer that vision or tweak somebody's vision to more align with someone else's. For the smaller vision of each role and then the larger vision of how all of the roles work together in the project. It's it's really fascinating I love it so much, and that's also why I can drive you crazy. That's why Conrad took his year break. I assume you've told the story, Evie, on another episode. I haven't listened to them all about the siren casting when you wanted the black actress and how you had to tell all the execs, like, it's a mermaid. (laughs) I don't know. I think I've told it before, but I don't know if it made it into an episode. So when we were casting Siren, which was this, like, like dark sci-fi the, there was a, the lead was a mermaid. Really fun, interesting cast. We tested two different women and it came down to the wire. And the actress that wound up getting the lead siren was this gin actress. And just her physicality, she felt feral. It really did feel like this different otherworldly thing in the way she physically inhabited the role. There also was this incredible African actress who had auditioned for it. And we loved her as well too. So once we went to series, we needed a sister, right? There was one of her sisters that was still in the sea. And we said, what about Siba was the name of the actress. And the showrunners were like, but she's black, right? Our lead is white and she's black. And they said, but they're mermaids. And they all went, oh, we're making this world. We get to do whatever we want. And When that episode premiered, Conrad, Twitter just went nuts. Like they were so excited, so happy. Black Twitter in particular was just like, this is giving me life. And by the way, Sibo killed the role. She was incredible. It was a world that we got to define. That's the perfect rare example of two different actresses that were both phenomenal and the little thing that pushed one over the edge for one role but where we as casting directors went but we also love so and so and she's gonna fit in here too and it also resonated with audiences so yes i love sort of those conversations and it's also really fun to have them we worked on a lot of sci-fi shows to be able to we did that on shadow hunters too for different roles but i think just you that's another case where like they just hadn't thought of it. They hadn't thought of it as a possibility. It's not that they were unwilling to go in that direction. It's just, that's not what society, our brain, the patriarchy, capitalism, whatever has taught us to believe. And so it just took you asking, why not? Yes, that's a really that good point. Why? And then their minds changed quickly. And so I think, again, you felt 
confident and assertive enough to be like, why not? And that is a kind of basis I think it's important to create so that those conversations happen more and more frequently. I was also going to say, and it's also the assumption, listen, you guys are of a younger generation than I am. I was of a younger generation than the showrunners on a lot of our shows, right? So our brains are thinking that way. Those are who our friends are. Those are the communities we're in. Leanne, you're so right, just asking the question for some of the people in older generations that aren't thinking that way. And you are doing the same thing. What were you going to say, Conrad? I stepped on you, sorry. I stepped on you. What really resonated and what you were saying is just we get to, that concept of we get to decide, that reminder of we collectively, we, the, the studio, the team, the show gets to decide. I had an experience where I was trying to advocate for something and it didn't, it didn't go that way. It was one of those things where I was getting really invested in one particular way of going for a role that had been difficult to cast and i'm trying to speak as vaguely as possible it was a little less conventional and we had a conversation with one of the eps and they're like the network is worried about this and i was like but we get to decide it had to do with their like sex appeal i'll say and i was like we get to decide what's sexy if our lead thinks that person is sexy then that person's sexy. That's the whole thing. And I was heard capital H, but it didn't wind up going that way. And it was one of those things of I was proud because it was a good reminder of that conversation, but it doesn't always, it is about maybe just as an example of having that conversation and it not going the way. What I will say is the person who wound up getting the role was fantastic. It was just different. It was just different. And at the at that point in the process, I thought it could have been more exciting to go a different way but I let go of it and yeah, it was great. Thank you for sharing that story. You're reminding me of another one we had where we were doing a pilot, single camera comedy. And there was this, for lack of a, just a thumbnail sketch, this like very sex positive, sexually active <laughs> female character. And there was a hilarious, really wonderful, what who I thought was very sexy actress, comedic actress that I was invested in. And I had suggested her and the producer who was very old school, the only, he would only see like a Brooklyn Decker doing that only a classically sort of sports illustrated type model was the only way he could envision it, that it was palatable to him. He also knew of this comedic actress. He had worked with her in something else, but he called me and he was like, that doesn't make any sense to put her in this. And I was like, hang on, slow down. She is so charismatic and so sexy and so alive. And he went, oh, yeah, no, I get it. Okay. And she wound up getting offered the role. But it's about having those conversations. And like you said, Leanne, like just presencing it and going, let's just look at this a little bit more deeply. Because when you were doing shows, if that role was on Friends, who would have been cast back then, oh. is not what we have to do or should do or need to do now. And let's just have the conversation. And it's always fun and exciting when you can advocate and you see like the lock unlock the door a little bit and they go, oh, cool, yeah. We certainly don't win all of those fights. And sometimes there's a lot of pushback too, but yes, I love those examples. And Conrad, I've had so many of the type that you're 
talking about where I would feel like this is 100% wrong. You are missing a huge opportunity and this is who should be getting this role and they just weren't seeing it. So again, we're part of a larger dynamic collaborative process. Exactly. And it's it's those points where you know, and this is more a life thing than even just an industry thing or a professional thing. In those situations, it's just about recognizing my like crazy wild ego and just being like, honestly, Conrad, thank God you don't call the shots because if you did, first of all, too much responsibility on your shoulders. I don't even want that much responsibility. What a relief that I don't. But also like, I don't make all the right decisions all the time in my personal life. Like why? I think I have phenomenal taste. I think I really believe in myself as a casting director. I think I'm really good at what I do. I think we're really good at what we do. Like you said, we're one piece. We're two pieces of a much larger puzzle and other people have great taste as well. Other people as part of that decision-making process has have great taste as well. And I, it's always a reminder to be open to other perspectives and just because something doesn't go our way doesn't mean that it's disappointing or bad or tasteless. Anyone who gets to that point in the process is very exciting. And it's just a good reminder of that. Yeah, for sure. Leanne, what do you love about what you do? What lights you up? You're getting the same question, Conrad. So start formulating. (laughs) I think there's kind of two pieces for me that light me up. And I think some of it is, look, some of it is that like, where I am now is a result of my dreams changing, which is something that I was really afraid to have happen when I was an actor. Now I have this new perspective of, oh, my dream changed and I am incredibly filled creatively, usually more so than when I was an actor because I was not acting nearly as much as I do reading with actors in the room now. But like this idea of a thing that was missing from my acting career was this like organizational puzzle piece type A quality that I didn't have when I had to relinquish that much control as an actor. And as we're hearing in this conversation, there's still a relinquishing of control, but seeing it all come together, often that not being exactly how you envisioned it coming together, I find incredibly satisfying, like the end of that collaborative process or the sort of touchstones of making a big casting decision together. And then I think the other thing is really just the actors, especially with actors who are getting their first big job, which happens to us a lot because we happen to work with a lot of young people and seeing how much they put into it and then watching the win is just really gratifying. I think there's room for everybody and it takes a lot of time, but like when you see somebody who has really steadily moved along as an actor, have that big aha job come about is just so thrilling to me. Yes. What about you, Conrad? What do you, what lights you up about what you do? I would say it's a very specific ditto to everything that Leanne said, certainly, but reading with an actor who gets it, which obviously even there are going to be a ton of fantastic actors that read for any given role. And there's going to be one person who gets the job for whatever reason, whatever variables fall into place, but watching 
watching someone really connect with something in the moment and listen and like just being a part of that and feeling that, oh shit, this is right. This feels good, which again, is not to say that's the person who even gets the part, but like having that sort of just conversational feel, like having someone who really connects with something with really good material and is really just present and grounded is always like magic to me. It feels like complete alchemy. I obviously have a certain number of like pointers and love working with actors and workshopping stuff, but it still feels like magic every time that someone's able to do it. It's wild. I, lo I love that so much. I love that moment. There was this actress when I had started my career, I was at Paramount before I went to ABC Family and she was a series regular in a comedy that I worked on there and then put her in a dramedy at ABC Family. She took some time off, left the business, had kids. As I shared with you earlier, I'm working on casting this short for a festival run. So I put the breakdown out last week and she submitted herself on Actors Access. <laughs> And she sent me a note and said, hey, I don't know if you remember me. I would love to read for this. And I was like, oh, my God, of course I remember you. Her read, it's a three-page scene, probably page and a half when it all comes down to it. She found this one thing that was like gave me chills. And that part, and I emailed her and was like, this was an excellent read those moments as a casting director and when you're in the room those parts of real connection a real discovery that the actor makes still gives me chills and i no Absolutely. longer and it just feels so good conrad what was your happiest thing this week this week yeah Unre and unre it can be business but unrelated Unrelated, what's been the happiest thing that's happened in the last bit? What is my happiest thing? It wasn't this week, but I love Thanksgiving. I got yes. to go to New York to see my family and I saw a couple of shows while there and it's just, I love LA, I love my life here, but I do still miss New York. So it's always nice to go back. Is that a good answer? <laughs> that's a fabulous answer. And you're, I'm from Jersey. We have very similar stories where it grew close by. Theater was like a really special, fun thing, but a thing we did. It's that sense memory of New York this time of year, going to shows, it's like cold and brisk outside, you wear your coat, you walk into the theater, that kind of mm -hmm. that excitement and anticipation that feels like real magic. It's, I love that. What about you, Leanne? What's your happy from this past week or two? I'll just get really honest in that, like, it's been a challenging couple of months Work has been a little slow for us. My partner's father passed away suddenly. Things have just been challenging. And what I realized is how lucky I am and how much gratitude I feel for how much joy is present in my life and how much I have to be grateful for, even when shit is really hitting the fan. I don't know what it was about this past week that sort of gave me that perspective, even in having a conversation with Conrad, where I was like, I am so glad we're going through this together. I'm so glad that we, when one of us is having anxiety about the way our business is going, that the other one sort of is in a good headspace and is able to talk them out of it. And with my romantic partner also just feeling like we are really great and connected, even when things that we can't control are not going right is really like something. It really is special. And I think that is 
a big reason why I say so much to actors that I think having a community of people who gets you is so important and having a life outside of being an actor is so important because when I was an actor, I was really taught, especially in my Meisner hard training years, you need to rehearse and go to class and not really have any other life. And a big thing I noticed, actually, especially when I worked for Laura Kennedy was when she would have generals with actors that I would sit in on, they were never talking about the jobs they were working on right now. They were talking about the trip that they took or this weird hobby that they just started doing or this, even you and I at the interview, I think we talked all about like my cost of volunteering because I had just started doing that and seeing people as well-rounded people and connecting with people outside of what it is that you're quote unquote trying to make happen in your career is the only way I really think that we can rise up when things aren't going the way we want them to go. I don't know. That was like a long-winded sort of woo answer, but I, I just think that's something that made me happy is this idea that, oh, I actually have a really huge array of things to find joy in and be happy about, even when things aren't going exactly the way I hoped that they would go. Yeah. Partnership and community is the joy and the salve to all of the different notes in life. I love that you t I love that you talked about that. Listen, there's also a lot of healing in being witnessed, just being with people that you can be yeah. your true self with and say this is what's going on where you can feel seen and be attuned to. That's the that's like the real stuff of life. And this business is also a big part of the real stuff of life. What are you watching? What are you watching right now? What are you excited about? I started watching The Dangerous Liaison Story. They oh. made a series of Dangerous Liaisons. It's unlike Stars or Epics or Showtime. Yeah, or it's, and it already got picked up for a second season. I oh, believe, did it? Right? Did it? I yeah. So. Some yeah. interesting actors in that. I started watching. I'm watching Fleischmann's on FX and what else? Oh, the Chippendales story. I was curious about it because I watched the documentary and that story is super wild. What are you guys watching? What are you into right now? I can't stop talking about I just recently finished it, but Pachinko on Apple TV Plus. Us, yes i thought was like so mind-blowingly beautiful i was late to it obviously i can't believe that more people aren't like constantly saying that haven't been constantly saying that we before watching it months ago we're friends with minna kim's agent and when she was in the u.s when they were just starting to do press we had a brief general with her and watching it I was like I can't believe I met this person I am so out of my mind obsessed with her I just thought it was absolutely beautiful I can't recommend it highly enough uh we just finished the interview with the vampire season on AMC which was super fun really great young actor Bailey Bass I think she's fantastic it was really fun and I just slowly got through but I just finished what we do in the shadows which is another vampire thing it's not really my like Thing I wouldn't boil it down to, but it's so fucking funny and totally genius. Um, those are my things. I am fully on the White Lotus train with the rest of the country. Conrad is not caught up yet, so I won't say too much, but I think that the acting this season is really spectacular, and I love that we're seeing some, some cool new faces. And, of course, Megan Fahey, who we know from 
the bold type that we worked on together, Freeform is blowing my mind in that role. And I am also watching Sex Lives with College Girls, which I love as like a silly short nugget. I like to have meatier things that I'm watching and like simultaneous sort of littler nuggets. And then I am also watching old seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race because I am a newer convert to RuPaul's Drag Race, which was like shameful when I worked with Conrad and Isel and Joseph, who are our associated assistant on Greece, who would reference it all the time. And now I'm fully understanding of that. And that is another thing that is just like a fun, can multitask while doing it. Watch for Leanne, me. have you dipped into We're Here yet? Okay, no, but he has I've been, I've been very vocal about Leanne. getting her into We're Here. I, Leanne, trust I me. it's Bob the Drag Queen, Shangela, and Eureka, and you are going to have goosebumps. You are, yes, it's heaven. You're going to have goosebumps. You will cry. You will I feel I've done it, humanity. Evie. I've done it. I've told I cannot her. Wait. Don't we worry. Have, we have, <laughs> no, we have one episode left of the season that we're on, which is, oh my gosh, I can't remember the numbers, but... It's Eureka the like second time around. Oh. Yeah, Eureka after Eureka got injured the next season. Eureka and Asia O'Hare. Anyway, but as soon as we finish this, we're doing We're Here. Ryan, my, my partner, is also really excited about it because he only really likes feel-good, mushy television, which makes oh. it a little bit of a struggle in our house because I like all the things. But yeah, so I'm very excited. There's a huge billboard right at the end of my street for We're Here. So I'm reminded constantly I will report back but yes, I'm very please. excited. Your heart is going to grow 20 times bigger. <laughs> it's so wonderful. You both have been so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing yourselves, for being so transparent and open and informative and warm. I cannot thank you enough. This has been a fabulous conversation. And Conrad, what an absolute delight to meet you, sir. Truly, thank you for the space <laughs> and for inviting us. This was awesome. I, yes. It is not ever something that I gravitate towards doing because I hate the sound of my own voice, but I'm so grateful that you, you thought of us for it. You have a real good voice. You have a real good face. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Real face for radio. I know. Yeah. I always say if there's any, like, we talk to each other and look at each other on Zoom constantly, and it's the only person that never gets on my nerves. I hope you have a delightful day today and share the love. Tell someone that you appreciate them. Tell them you're glad they exist. Thanks for listening. Please share this podcast on your socials and with any artists you think would dig it and send me your questions. I have many more casting folks coming in to share with you all. See you next time.